Welcome, welcome, welcome. 2022 first Beat Talks episode of the year. I'm your host, DJ Ruche, and as my man Rakim and Timberland both said, it's been a long time. I shouldn't have left you. I apologize for the long absence between podcasts. I actually didn't leave you. It was just an extended break. I uh, was a little burnt out after Tokyo. I know that was last summer, but uh, I went right into the Pro Beach Volleyball season, which then ended and immediately right into the NBA Lakers season. So uh, had a lot going on, needed a mental break, and here I am. And speaking of Tokyo, today's guest, he is the returning champion, first two-time guest on the Beat Talks podcast, my good friend, Kevin Barnett, who is a two-time Olympian, played indoor volleyball for the USA Volleyball National Team, went to two Olympics, and has since gone to four more Olympics as a uh, broadcaster for NBC. So Kevin and I were both in Tokyo And I wanted to do a little recap of the summer games. Never got a chance to do that, but especially with the winter games coming up here in a couple weeks, wanted to do a little recap of what it was like for Kevin and I in Tokyo. We also discussed the differences of when we were both in Rio as well. And uh, the word penis. Yep, you heard it. The word penis happens, said a few times in this podcast. Don't know why, um, how that comes up, but uh, it did. So there you go. So without further ado, enjoy. First Beat Talks podcast of 2022. I believe the first one since uh, right before the Olympics of Tokyo. It's It's been a while, Kevin. It's Barnett. been a moment. Yes, you are the uh, returning champion. You are the first two-time guest. How much money is that worth? What on the I Beat win? Talks podcast. Congratulations. Thank you. Do we have applause? Do we have a applause no, button? I got nothing. Ah, just a fart button. That's all. Yeah, it's got, I got to adjust the volume for a sec so we're not crushing it. Welcome to uh, my garage, by the way. Um, normally, I do these via Zoom, and I can just sit in front of my computer, but you were coming over, so I had to set the lights, do some ring lights. I put up the uh, Tokyo 2020 volleyball right here. I like that. Did you steal that? Did not steal it. It was given to me. Thank you nice. so much. That was a, I'll give you a proper introduction momentarily, or maybe I'll re-record one at the beginning, but um, that was a fail by me in Rio. I really, like, when I left, I was like, ah, I got a, a few pins that I really liked, and afterwards, I was like, oh, I really wanted a ball. Yeah. And then a good friend, of, I don't remember telling him this, but a good friend of ours, Josh Glazebrook, who you know very well. Um, last year, year before, I don't know at all, time all blurs to me at this point, um, surprised me with a, you can see it right there, a Rio 2016 ball. He was oh, talking with Mikasa nice. and he asked them for that because he remembered me not getting one. And, uh, that was very special of him. If I talked to him, would, would he get me one from the indoor side? There was almost an Probably international not. incident. Because a ball was stolen? We stole one. Borrowed it. Yeah, we, we stole one. <laughs> <laughs> from from the form of Jim, took it back to the TV compound. They counted them, came down to the TV compound and demanded to have it back, said, we know you have it, that you left with it. We must have it back. Was this... They sent three people. When the tournament was over or no. while... No. Okay. So the games were still going on. Yes. I didn't get my ball till after it was over. Okay. Well, we, we thieved one or attempted to thieve one. It was like the Italian job. We were being chased... <laughs> 
There were Mini Coopers going down stairwells. You retrofitted your Mini Cooper. Yeah. <laughs> it, um, it was crazy. Well, we got some people in the chat. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, got some Lakers fans. Lakers won tonight. AD was back. I'm sure that felt really good. Did Russ get off the bench? I don't know. I don't watch okay. road games until the playoffs. I, I need a break sometimes. So I follow the score and things of that nature, but uh, I tend not to watch the road games. Saw the score though, and they won. That's always nice. Um, so welcome all my Lakers fans in the chat. I'm currently talking to, I tried to get this number right, two-time Olympian. I know that for sure. Was Tokyo your fourth or fifth Olympics as a broadcaster? Fourth. Fourth Olympics. So you've been to six. In a row. That's impressive for being 22 years old. (laughs) (laughs) It's not easy being Benjamin Button. You look great for 22 years old for going to six straight Olympics. Thank you. If this was a drinking podcast, I'd take off my shirt halfway through. Yeah. Well, Rich Lamborn already has a shirt off. (laughs) For those that that know. (laughs) So your sixth Olympics, we went to, you and I were at two together. I just saw that picture yesterday. It came up in the iPhone memories or iPad memories. Of I Rio or of Tokyo? Of Rio. I almost sent it to you. You and I outside Maracanã Zinho. Yes, because I had to cover a few indoor matches. And uh, you saw me. I believe there's a picture I was literally napping. Between, it was either before the match, something like that. Those were long days. There's a photo. You were right behind me. And those were those days I was going from, I do was at beach late night. Right. And then came to indoor in the morning. Or I was at indoor late night, beach in the morning, then indoor in the afternoon, then back to beach at the end. And I was, uh, I averaged, I, I, I looked at, I think the last four or five days, I averaged four hours of sleep. Yeah, it's brutal. We were going to late night volleyball and more early morning volleyball every day. It was like 18 hour days followed by 18 hour days. It, I was still mad last year. <laughs> I'm still mad. Yeah, I was still mad about 16 last year, but I, I managed to take care of it with NBC. We figured it out. Uh, they We can talk about the story, too. Um, they attempted to do that to me again in Tokyo, where you're going to work all the matches the last four or five days, and you'll get zero sleep. And I... Right. They, weren't they jettisoning, jettisoning the workforce? <sighs> they were sending them home early? So, and, and you gave them this one? Yeah, I get, yeah. And I don't know if it had anything to do with what I said, but I sent some emails that was like, this is ridiculous. So... The beginning of the Olympics, a lot more matches, a lot more teams. Obviously, once you get to the elimination rounds in beach or indoor, not as many teams are left, so not as many matches. So in their mind, they think we don't need as many people to work, but it still goes night session to day session, right? rinse and repeat, because in between those sessions, there might be four or five hours, but they're going to do rehearsals, and they're going to do rehearsals for the medal matches they're going to do all that stuff, and they need the DJ there for music. So it's not like I'm going to have time to go back to the hotel and rest. And especially with COVID, my big thing was, and this happened to one of our announcers the second to last day, she had a close contact with her kid, so she couldn't come to work. So my argument as well, too, is like, you guys want me to do the last four or five days, just our team of just one announcer team, one DJ but you have us taking public transportation the last few days and you've let everybody else go. What if I get sick of no fault of my own? If I walk in and test positive, I can't walk in any further. Right. And you are going to be exhausting me where I'm getting to the metal rounds where that's where I need to be the sharpest. Yes. 
Like I've tried to make this point to broadcast teams as well. Nobody, broadcasters. nobody does it. They're not doing it to me on purpose. They're not like, oh, screw that guy. We're gonna, you know, make it exhausting for him. Blah blah blah. No, but they just they're not thinking about that. And yes, it they're not. Freaks me out. They're thinking about the amount of money they have to pay you, and how can they save the amount of money they're supposed to pay you, and the amount of money let's say they saved by only having one. DJ team, announcer team, as opposed to two at the end, I could find them, I could save that money for them a million other places. Yes. And the few thousand dollars that it is them saving, is it worth it if I fall asleep in the middle of the gold medal match? One less red carpet and plastic fencing strand that they put somewhere in the arena. That would that would cover it. Give you some idea of Jeremy's rate at the Olympics. I just... If you find a giant roll of red carpet, you found a whole extra day of G.J. Rouchet. If I would take out of my rider the private helicopter ride to and from my hotel room to yep. the venue, I would take it out of my rider if... What about the green M&Ms? I don't know why green. It was... Was it Van Halen or Led Zeppelin back in the day? That was the rumor that like... And they did it just to see if people were reading their rider. Right. Yeah. There's something like white M&Ms or something yeah. silly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was what I had to battle through at the end of this Olympics in Tokyo and... Fortunately, some people did. I don't know if they listened to me at all whatsoever. I have no idea what went on behind the scenes, but I sent. Because there was a, sorry, this is how it's going to be. And I was like, negative. That's This is not how it's going to be. Or you're going to be giving me a private ride to and from said venue. So I don't have to walk a half hour to and from. Yeah, public transport was brutal for the folks I knew that were taking it. The way it was constructed yeah, my- was a little tough. It was just the hardest part for me with the public transportation. It was a 20-minute walk from my hotel to the train, and then a two-minute walk from the station to the actual venue, but then another 20-minute walk from where I walked into the venue to where I actually got to the DJ booth, right? And it was 90 degrees with 100% humidity. That's actually what angered me the most. I was just melting the entire time. I was thinking about you guys. (laughs) Because when you were indoor and nice and cool and had to yep. wear a jacket, yep, and had in, air conditioning in Japan, the air conditioning works. Unlike Brazil, <laughs> the air conditioning works, and so you're in a building and it feels nice and it's pleasant and it's very nice. And we were sitting in there, and I was thinking about you guys at the beach because I knew how hot it was. There were a lot of those days with your arena too, where it was the three levels of nobody, completely encased, no wind, no wind, and 95 degrees, 100 percent humidity. Some days actual rain. Yeah, it was that was brutal. You guys were really, really in for it out there. I was fortunate that I did all of the night sessions and every other afternoon. Still where, hot though. Where the other group did every morning and every other afternoon. So they were always in the sun. Gee, it was steamy. Yeah. There were days I opened up the slider from my room, gazing across the harbor at the Olympic rings <laughs> and the color bridge. Enjoying it, seeing how beautiful it was. Rainbow but, Bridge. Rainbow Bridge, thank you. And immediately sweating. Immediately. Yeah. And and then if I left it open for a moment, it would fill every surface of glass or mirror in my room filled with fog or mist, like I had taken a shower that mystified the entire room. I, I was amazed by the humidity, but enough about the weather. I had a fan on my laptop. Yeah. A fan on the DJ equipment. Yeah. And a fan pointed at my family jewels. <laughs> Underneath the table... Were you wearing mesh underwear? How does that even work? Like you, you could point all the fan you want right now. I got denim on. 
I, you didn't see the photo of how tight my short, my pants were. (laughs) (laughs) Um, they were super tight and, uh, I had two umbrellas and, uh, that was my shade. Yeah. They didn't even want to give you umbrellas. That was crazy. Yeah. Tokyo. This this is nice. This is like being old times, the net live. It's one podcast we used to be on. Do you think we get enough credit for all the things we did for the sport of volleyball for 10 plus years on the net live podcast? Yes. Yes. Okay. I, I feel don't. I feel I like we do. I don't. No, I, I feel like we do. I feel like people remember. I listen to College Volleyball Weekly now with Rob on the mic. He took yeah. our music and the segment and good, our good, guests good. and everything. Cool. Uh, cool. At, with our blessing. Yeah. And and I get a little nostalgic and then I listen to the show. I'm glad I don't do it and I enjoy the show. No, I, I think we get plenty of credit. It, it ended. Well, maybe I, you get plenty of credit. Maybe I don't. I, I felt like it ended on a, on a great note. 100%. It was time for it to go. Yes. It's time to move on and do other things, both of which we've done, this being one of them, Beat Talks, right? Beat Talks? Beat Talks, yep. Yeah. So I felt great about it. And people mention it every now and again. It pops up here and there. Yeah. Every once in a while, they're like, can you guys, like something happens in the sport and they (laughs) want us to talk about it. And I don't, I don't miss, I don't miss it. I miss the camaraderie, getting to hang out with you. I came over to your house almost once a week for 10 straight years. Right. And now when I come over, I don't know if I'm supposed to ring the doorbell. I don't, I don't know how, I don't know. You still have a pass. You can I do, but in. I still feel like if I just walk in, like it's just a random day of the week. I don't know what to do anymore. And then we're talking for 10 minutes. You're like, where's Rich? Yeah. Where, <laughs> is Rich not coming today? Your kids are now both a lot taller than me. Yep. They weren't that when we first started. In fact, if we were doing College Volleyball Weekly, we would be discussing Santa Barbara and one Reese Barnett. 100%. Who used to be downstairs yelling the word penis. Now he is crushing balls for Santa Barbara. Yes. For those that don't know, Kevin started a, it wasn't even a podcast then. Yeah. It, well, it was, but it wasn't, podcasts weren't really a thing the way they are now yet. Correct. Yes. 2009. You read pretty and Dan what? Madden. Dan Madden. I wanted to yep. say Steve Madden. I was like, that's the shoe guy. So that is incorrect. Dan Madden started the net live. Then Geeter came on board, and then I don't. You're the, you're the next. Mainstay. I was the yeah. I don't remember how long into your guys' show I came in, but I think it was two ish years. We well, did it from Reed Pretty's house the first few times. My first show was in January of 2011. Right, two yeah. years. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So we did uh, the Net Live. I was involved for I think ten years, and uh, we talked volleyball. We're the only volleyball podcast in the space. Got to talk indoor, got to talk beach, and then now look at us. Yeah, we won sitting gold medals, and we did not talk about snow, so it was fun. Back to back sitting gold medals. If you know, you know. Just That's all I got to say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, back when you worked for the Clippers. <sighs> never heard of them. <laughs> do, they have, do they have championship rings? No. no not that I'm aware of. It's a shame. Um, so I actually wanted to do this podcast and talk to you after we came back from Tokyo. Okay. I was so burnt out, literally and figuratively. Yeah. Because as soon as we got back from Tokyo, immediately, I think three days later, we were in Atlanta yep. with AVP, and it was just as hot and just as humid, and I was angry because we were doing day and night sessions. So I was I had been angry for like three straight weeks, and that, that added to it. And then we did Manhattan Beach, and then we had a week off, and then Chicago. Chicago. And then I think two weeks later, the Lakers season started. Right. So I was, my mental capacity for anything other than just getting through whatever gigs I had to get through, it was difficult. Um, but now with the Winter Olympics just a couple of weeks away, it seems appropriate to revisit 
the Tokyo Games. Okay. And how difficult it was to get there. I got there a day late. To the Tokyo Games? But because oh, I got there that's right. but because I got there a day late, we got to fly together. That's right. We yes. were one of, one of six people on the plane. <laughs> Actually, there were six people in business class, there were about 15 in coach. There and was nobody on that aircraft. Nobody. I think it was like a 300 and some odd person aircraft and there might have been 50 people total. Yeah. Maybe. It was crazy and most including people, the staff. Most people were NBC. Yep. Yeah, it was it was pretty wild to travel during the pandemic to that place where basically no one was going. What was the process for you to even be allowed? I'm sure it was similar to me, but you had NBC backing you. Yeah, in terms of protocol. Yeah. I God, it's hard to even remember. I I like you. We blocked it all out. Well, I I ended up with a full-time job in April. And then that that came after obviously being committed to the Olympics long before that. Yeah. And so I had that leading into the Olympic Games. And so I was just hustling the whole time to get that up and running and get to the games and get any paperwork done that I needed to get done. We had to get tested, vast amounts of paperwork and tracking. You had to download apps that you would feed information to I still find apps day. from Japan. I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't need that app anymore. And then when we arrived, it was a soft quarantine, but you were allowed in your hotel and your venue, and that yep. was it. You weren't even allowed in the gym. And one of the great tragedies for me, first world tragedy, I lost my Peloton streak because I forgot to do a meditation. Oh. And I lost my at that point I think it was 47 weeks. Oh wow. streak. And I now have a streak that started the following week that I have not given up including this evening I Peloton before I came over. Well Peloton's going under so it doesn't your streak. It's all matter. going away. It doesn't matter anymore. I'm going to try and download the content with my man Ben. <laughs> yeah, hashtag #Ben's army. But it it was it was substantial yeah once we were there everything was fine yeah it's japan if if you had to go to a place and be involved in an event that required that much attention to detail scheduling organization there was no better place on the planet to go than japan had you been to tokyo or anywhere in japan in your playing career prior to that like 10 or 12 times okay then yeah been to japan a lot my favorite place to go there you go Clean gymnasiums, yeah. gorgeous hotels, and organization perfect, food perfect, everything that Europe was not when you went there. You go there and you're staying in an old folks' home in Italy for real a thing. They come around four o'clock and ring the bell. We literally got put up in an old folks' home and the food was not great. In Japan, you'd go there and you'd end up in these giant hotel rooms with beautiful views. It's volleyball's a big deal. The Japanese Volleyball Association is quite well respected. So it has a lot of money, spends it on events. Yep. Even for events like friendly matches, we would be in nice hotels and bussing around. You'd go and play them for 10 days or whatever, play six matches. I love Japan. It was my first ever national team trip, actually. Oh, my awesome. first ever time off of the, the the continent of North America. And you're like, oh, this is what traveling internationally is like. And then and no. past Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When we flew business class. Awesome. We nice. got upgraded on my very first trip. Upgrade. I think it was Lloyd Ball or maybe Jeff Nygaard said, somebody tell the rookie it's not like this all the time. <laughs> and it's not. Or no. it wasn't. No. Not for the national team. No. Terrible. Yeah. But yeah, it was it was great. I, the accommodations were great. My, I walked into my room. I was blown away. Literally had a view of the bridge and the and the Olympic rings. And if you're going to quarantine in a place for two weeks, make it the Hilton in Odaiba. Your hotel was right next to my venue. Yes, 
one one train stop away, and the train was across from the lobby. Yes, I I bet you could have you could have walked out to where the rings were that the photo that everybody saw that I stole from you and put on my Instagram page that I could see from my venue. Um, you walked out there and you could walk to my venue. You wouldn't even have to get on the train. You Correct. wouldn't have had to get on the train. Correct. They were taking a car ride and I think it took six minutes because they had to go around to the other side. Yes. You had to go around of your it. venue. Yeah. 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 It was a great location. NBC does a terrific job. I know reporters that went back for the Paralympics, mm-hmm. the accommodations were not the same. And that's funny because it's reverse for staff. Same oh, thing happened to me. Better. Same thing happened to me in Rio. My Paralympic hotel was, I think, was the NBC hotel. Ah, uh, yes. At the end of Copacabana Beach, yeah, and it was. I had a ocean view the entire time at the Paralympics. I didn't do the Paras in Tokyo, but people that I worked with that went that stayed or went back, like they're like, yeah, we we everything was upgraded. Did Mark go back? No, no. Okay, no. I didn't hear about people going back. I guess because AVP was going. And- yeah, I, um, I like you. I I worked for little over six weeks every day. Literally. The only day I didn't work was travel to Japan. So I didn't count that as any rest, but I had worked every single day for that period of time. It was, it was tough. By the end, I was really burned out and and just happy to have a day to relax. Besides obviously the accommodations and no fans, and we can talk about that too. What were there any differences from broadcasting in Rio compared to Tokyo? It didn't rain on our position, so I, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't have to dance to the Austin Powers music with an umbrella. By the way, you were broadcasting indoor volleyball. Correct. It's not supposed to rain indoors. Brazil comes with special circumstances. <laughs> I played in Brazil in a number of stadiums where they just didn't build the wall tall enough to the roof. So in this case, we had a lot of rain, and it, it came through the roof. They had a big leak, and it was right onto our broadcast position. Paul and I called an entire match holding umbrellas because there was rain dripping off the umbrellas. Then they, they weren't able to move the equipment before we started the match. Wow. So we had to just call it under umbrellas. Those so, are things you got to do when you're yeah. professionals. No, you just, whatever you make do. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not military duty. Correct. It's just, you make do with whatever you got. And that's part of the job and part of the, 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 piece of being there that you have to be able to just make do with the schedule or the transportation not working or whatever if you're a player for usa volleyball before that you travel internationally you should be well prepared for things going wrong constantly yeah and eventually figure out how to let it roll off your back it took me close to 10 years but i did manage to make that happen so so you're a fast learner is what you're saying yeah so you make the best of it i i have a video of me with the umbrella dancing to the austin powers theme song that's on and it's I enjoyed it. It was fun. That's hilarious. Yeah. But stuff like that's kind of funny. Uh, Rio, Rio was quite taxing. I re- really enjoyed Japan. There were some long days, particularly towards the end. However, yeah. it's always good when the right team wins, and that is the women's side indoors. And on the men's side, it was a compelling tournament, despite the fact that the United States did not make mm-hmm. the, the playoffs or the crossover. It was exciting. I didn't, I didn't watch much the first couple weeks because my brain was all beach the whole time or yeah i was doing laundry in my uh washer slash dryer which is the greatest thing ever in my hotel um which mark didn't know how to operate he's like my clothes aren't drying i was like you didn't put enough money in there he still thinks that it was a uh, it's a user error it was a user error um 
But yeah, with the women winning United States in beach too, by the way. Yep. What was obviously that was the first time they'd won at the Olympics, but you would announce when they have lost twice. So even so, you a USA volleyball alum. Yes. That had to feel good. Yes. Yeah. That win was for every woman that ever played on that team. Yep. Go all the way back to the beginning, 1964, Tokyo. For every person that ever participated with that national team, that win went to them. It was a cathartic moment delivered by that team. It was really, awesome. Really remarkable. Uh, Karch Karai, of course, legend, legend in the game already. He showed real growth from four years before to his selection of the roster this time. They also benefited from some other teams of course, having serious injuries to their stars, but they played their best volleyball in the playoff rounds. And I, I picked them to sweep Brazil. Mm-hmm. I said, they're going to win and they're going to do it 3-0 somewhere. And sure enough, they did. I, I, because I felt like to that point in the tournament, Brazil had played to the best of their potential the mm-hmm. most often. Mm-hmm. But I felt like the United States had turned it on and played to their potential finally. And their potential was higher than Brazil's, especially when you take Tandara out because she failed a drug test a month before. Ooh. The opposite from Brazil. Whoopsie daisy. And so they took her away, literally just grabbed her out of the hotel and said bye once they adjudicated the B sample, I guess. Wow. And took her away from the Olympics. I felt like that American side was going to finally And done. just to clarify, when you say drug test, we're not talking COVID. No, no, okay. no. Just, just clarifying. We're, we're talking performance-enhancing drugs <laughs> of some kind, uh, but they did grab her and take her out of the Olympic Village. She didn't get to say goodbye to her teammates. Just whoop. I don't think I knew that. Yeah, right before the final. That is the thing I tell people when, with my experience when I've been at the Olympics, I don't get the rah-rah, I'm cheering for every USA athlete because my brain is focused on my job. And I don't see a lot of news coverage or read a bunch of stories of all the other stuff going on. I'll know if like friends of mine have won, right? but I don't get to, I'm not seeing all the other stories because by the time I get back to the hotel, I'm exhausted or the next day I'm just getting up and getting ready for that day. So those are things that I miss out on and not in a negative way. That's just what it is. Your friend and my friend and Olympic gold medalist, Dane Blanton, Dane Blanton and I were in the airport waiting for our flight to fly back to the United States, watching the gold medal match, listening to you and Paul call the game. And Brazil had no answer for USA. No. Like there was like there, anytime they made any little adjustment, it didn't matter. USA is a better team. Yeah. And it was fun. It was fun to watch as a yeah. fan. Cause I'm a fan of volleyball. Whereas regardless whether I'm DJing it or not, I'm a fan of the sport. Yeah, see, I've been to six Olympics, but I've just been to six volleyball tournaments. It's not it's not like being necessarily at the Olympics. Correct. Uh, there are times where it feels that way, but mostly I'm at a volleyball tournament. Yeah. And this volleyball tournament was a lot of fun. Awesome. Did you, when you talked to Dane, were you able to get the back rent he owed me on my weights from <laughs> no. Tokyo? <laughs> no. I did, I did not know. I did not know of this. Yeah, he still owes me money. Okay. Yeah, it, there was there was surge pricing going on because it was like yeah three in the afternoon. Several people were off; they wanted them. I said, "Dane, you're gonna have to pay extra." So we we had this quarantine. There was a gym in the hotel, but you're not allowed to use it for the first two weeks. Yeah, 
And actually, we were lucky we were there long enough. You got off of the quarantine, so you could go out into the town one night. You could go out and use the gym. But I had ordered, before I arrived in Japan, I had gone on Amazon Japan yep. and ordered a set of weights up to 44 pounds. So when I arrived, those were waiting for me at the desk, and I had a set of barbells that you, that you could put the slide the weights on. So I was renting those out to Dane Blanton on the regular to work out in the room. Well, it sounds like a uh, Venmo request situation to me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Coming for you. Blanton. Unless he uh, just ignores your request. <laughs> Surge pricing. I can't wait to uh, go to USC where Dane coaches and ask him about this. Yeah. Whenever I'm allowed to go there. I don't know what the protocols are currently. <laughs> don't get me started. Yeah. Um, my experience, the reason why I was a day late is there was some uh, clerical errors on my tests. Ah. Get to the airport. And that was my biggest stress the whole time. I wasn't stressed about DJing the games. I just wanted to be let into the country. Because right. all I have to say is no for whatever reason, and you're not going. Right. Like, there's nobody that's going to be able – it's the government that's like, nope, you're out. So I get there. They asked me a question about the test. To I LAX. Like, I was like, I was at LAX, rush hour. Nicole, my wife, drops me off. Some of our family was like in North San Diego, so she dropped me off and drove down there to go see them. Okay. So like, okay, I'll see you in three weeks. Drops me off. I get to the counter. Everything's going fine, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, they're like, uh. And I just don't like the look on their face. Like, the, <laughs> they're... They're like, on here, the test that you took is incorrect. And I was like, that is that is incorrect. Like, what you're telling me is incorrect. I did the same thing that many other people did on the same test, same all stuff, filled it out the same way. They did everything. Japan Airlines did everything they could to get me on that airplane. Like, they were talking to- Very conscientious Yes, people. it was, it was I, nobody did anything wrong. I wasn't mad at any individual person. Just, it wasn't the exact thing that the Japanese government wanted. So they're like- you need to take two more tests. You can take one right now, and you need to take another one tomorrow morning before you come back and we put you on the plane that we rebooked you on. And which, by the way, they're like, we need to make sure you can because they weren't sending full flights to Japan. Right. There was only X amount of people allowed on the plane. Now, I didn't feel too guilty because other people that traveled that same day, even at a different airport, different airline, same thing happened to them. So I didn't feel like I was dumb. But I had now... In a 96-hour period, have taken four COVID tests. The, the real lottery, that was one delay, but the real lottery was when you arrived. How long would it take yes. for them to process you? And like everything in this whole thing, it, it's been, on the one hand, precautionary. On the other hand, completely idiotic. They take several flights of people from all over the world, yeah. test them, and then while they wait for the tests... You have to sit in a non-circulating space <laughs> with everyone yep. four feet apart yep. in chairs, yep. but people from all parts of the planet, not just one flight, and they put everybody in one space. It's hotter than blazes. There's no food. There's no water. There's no nothing. You just sit here, take this test, and we'll let you know when we can let you in the country. And we got lucky. We were there for about two hours, two and a half maybe, before we got in our car. And then the ride was another hour and a half. Yep. We were fortunate. Chris Marlowe and crew came in. It took them more than five and a half hours. I heard some people took eight hours. Yeah. In the airport. Crazy. Now, I do think it worked out for me. One, you were on my flight. 
So I was able to give you my phone and you got some footage that I could use for my social media, which I wouldn't have gotten any other way. <laughs> and I think the flight I was supposed to be on the first day was even more full. Right. So it could have taken longer for me to get in the country because right. all the people that I know that were like, oh, they're there for eight hours. It was teams. It was like yeah. countries, whatever teams they were showing up. So like the whole Turkish delegate was going through it at the same time. Did you get the cheese platter I sent back from business class? I did not oh. get a cheese. I don't do cheese anyway, so yeah. maybe they knew that and or I was sleeping. I still owe you the meat portion of this charcuterie then. Yeah. Okay. Jeez. Take care <laughs> of your guy. Um, but yes, it was nice. Uh, the sense of relief I had, I knew when if I was able to get on the plane, yeah. I was going to be fine when I got to Japan. Like The test was going to be fine. I was going to get through there, even though... You know, you'd heard stories of people testing positive when they got to the airport in Tokyo. See Taylor Crab. Or you were sitting next to somebody that tested positive, oh, and now God. like that's a whole other not even sitting next to, sitting in a radius. Oh man. That was Aaron Virtue of the women's team. She was caught in the radius of someone who tested positive, but she wasn't sitting in that seat. She had moved with permission to somewhere else in the aircraft, but could not prove it. So they, that's why she was taken away from her team for wow. the majority of the middle part of the Olympics. Wow. Uh, just a complete circus. A complete circus. Man. And but I, whatever. Yeah. The, whatever. What I tell people is there's so many moving parts behind the scenes if you've never done a live event before. The fact that the Olympics even happens to begin with right, is astonishing time. to right. me because of all the moving parts behind the scenes. My DJ booth moved four times before it found its final location in an arena that had been already set up for a full year. Right. And when I say four times, I mean, once I got there, it had moved four times. Yeah. Not prior to that. So there's so many little things like that that go into it. I, I just, I don't understand how any of it ever works. Hey, and then you throw in COVID. That's why I say Japan was perfect. I can't imagine if it was Brazil trying to put it on during COVID, it, that wouldn't have worked nearly as well as it did in Japan. They were, maybe could have muddled through, but they were Japan trying to put bad. it on when their economy was tanking, and I almost didn't get paid. That too. Newspapers had to write about all the uh, foreigners that hadn't gotten paid for us to finally get paid. Yeah, well, at least somebody helped you out. I yeah. remember you were very good in Rio. Somebody, like, somebody mentioned it. Great segue by you, Kevin, because we're going to play some audio. And now this is a recording of a recording, so you might need to turn it up, but. Uh, Mike Tarico, We'll fix it in post. Yeah, we'll fix it in post. Mike Tarico, uh, that was his first Olympics. If you have listened to sports in the last 20 years, you've heard Mike's voice. Didn't he do Monday Night Football for a long time? Mike's amazing. Right? Is that where he came from? No, he's going to do it. He's going to do Monday Night Football. Yeah, I think he may have, maybe has done it by now, but he's going to do it. Got it. Thing. So Mike Tarico in Rio, it was his first Olympics, and this was one of his first experiences. Down the road to beach volleyball. It's the first time I've ever been to an Olympic event. This is my first games. So first time as a fan, went late night, and it was a blast. Yeah. The atmosphere is great. I think the MVP, while the talent is great, the MVP might be the DJ. The tunes are unbelievable. That's, he said might be. That's where the applause line should come in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mike's a great guy, by the way. Well, we're best friends now because he referred to me as the MVP. Now, do I think it's a little overstated when you are saying the DJ who's playing music is the MVP compared to the athletes who have trained their entire lives to get to the Olympics? Have you not trained most of your life to be the, the MVP as the DJ? That's true, but the Olympics wasn't my goal. Okay. But I'll still take the MVP. Don't get me wrong. 
Okay. Well, I don't know what Tiesto's goal was, but... That's also true. I mean, I'll take it. Don't get me wrong. So that night when that happened, yes, I was at the venue. I always, I did this in Tokyo as well too, put my phone on silent. I don't want it vibrating. I don't even want it to distract me at all whatsoever. If anybody needs me, they're within... The people that need need me are very close, so they don't need to text me. Um, and I would walk to and from the venue. But in Rio, I didn't pull my phone out as I was walking as a precaution. So it stayed in my pocket. So as I'm walking back, obviously I turn it on, you know, my phone is now vibrating almost the entire way from the venue, (laughs) a mile and a half walk back to my hotel. I'm like, man, so my thoughts were, and this is, will tell you a lot about me is either some type of terrorist event has happened at the Olympics. I just haven't heard about it yet. Right. Or somebody in my family has died. Right. Those were right. top those, two choices. Those are the only survey two, says only 36. Two, <laughs> only two options that I was thinking. Those about. are 36 and 24 out of the 100 people that were asked. <laughs> if your phone is vibrating, what has happened? Uh, so I get back to my room, look at my phone, and a bunch of people had sent me texts of Mike Tarico referring to me as the MVP. And this was like night one or two. That was one, by the way. One person said that. Yeah. So if you answer that, you're getting one point for your team and family feud. It was awesome. Yeah. Um, and then. And then. At this Olympic game. So in 20. 20- somebody. Yes. Took care of you. Took really good care of me. Because it had always been a joke since 2016. Like Mike Tarico and I are friends. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, we've never known. He still didn't know my name. Never seen him. Like, obviously, I know who he is. You know, it's a joke. He probably forgot that he even said that. But you do know somebody who actually is an Olympic friend of his. <sighs> I do. And uh, we're going to show him right now. You know, I was wandering around here and uh, I recognize this guy. I miss my man from Rio because our hotel was right across the beach right Yeah. Our set was right down the beach from the venue and the base was pumping the whole time. And here for me, I, it's just not the same Olympics. So I miss my man. You need some DJ Roche in your life. We all need some DJ Roche in our life. Like now too, bro. Now. There you go. You uh, you move up the chart on uh, DJ Ruscha's friend list with that, Kevin. Now, this is take number two. I have take number one, but we you, don't need it. You don't. Yeah. You don't have take number one. No yeah. one has take number one except uh, me in my mind. And take number one. Uh, we might have to go to the videotape on my phone. Take number one was better. It was perfect. It was amazing. Mike was... Somebody didn't record it. Money. So I'm setting up to do this with Mike. I'm going to do it selfie style. I got long arms. We're going to be in frame. I'm going to see it. Mike and I are there. We're going to message you. It's going to be great. Someone who shall not be named. It might rhyme with Maul Munderland. It may or may not be the guy that you broadcast the Olympics with. I'm not calling, saying any names. This guy, Munderland, he says, wait, give me your phone. I'll do it. Okay. Takes phone out of my hand. Fine. We do it. The take that you have, the part that you have, is where he realizes that he did not hit record. Oh, Paul. How dare you? So then we had to re-record. And so that was take two. Hold on. And both of you are such professionals, no one would know. Tariko and I knocked take number one out of the park. Of course you did. Tariko is split, gone. He's got an NBC gig. He's got to be on, on set momentarily. Literally right below my room. Yeah. He's got to be there. And I, I get to Paul. I go, Paul, you didn't hit record. 
Tariko hears this from 35 yards. A man has superhuman hearing. He goes, we got to do it again? And he came back? He came back. Oh, my God. He goes, let's do it again. We're doing this again. Take number two is what you have. Mike Tariko turned a front and came back. I think he was late on air on the nightly news with Lester Holt or something. Totally worth it. Yeah, he came back. To give me a shout out. And then, so, all right, I'll, I'll tell you a story. Do you, do you want to hear a long story? I do, but okay. first things first, shout out DJ Dazzler. Welcome to the Beat Talks podcast. Second, I didn't know, you did not tell me that part of the story. Yes. Now I really want to be <laughs> even better friends, and by better friends, I mean just friends, period, with Mike Tirico. Like, I'm Olympic friends with Mike Tirico. Yeah. His number, whatnot. So he told me, you mind if I tell a little bit of a long story? Please here? tell a long story. All right. The Olympic Games last night. Going to move my mic and get some water? Yeah. Last night at the Olympic Games, we're done. In Tokyo? or In Tokyo. Okay. We, we finished. It is the last night of the Games. We literally finished the tournament about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Closing ceremonies is going to get underway. We have to go directly back from our venue because all the transportation is over with. You can't go anywhere for the rest of the night with NBC transportation because it's all going to the finals or going to the closing. So we we'll go out to dinner. We have some drinks. Myself and a few other colleagues. Uh, one of our our... Our field producer is out with us. Uh, great dude. Everybody needs to have uh, this man in their life, but great dude. So we put Paul to bed early. Paul had fun and we enjoyed his company. And then he had to go to bed early for everyone's safety. And myself, my reporter and field producer go to the secret room. Yes. Located in the Odaiba Hilton through three doorways. Nice. To get to the secret room where you can have some alcohol because you're not allowed to have alcohol in public in Japan at all. And because Tokyo was locked down, they weren't serving alcohol, period, during that time. That is correct. You could order near beer, but you could not order actual beer. But the convenience stores would sell you alcohol. So there was plenty of alcohol around, but you're not supposed to drink it yourself (laughs) at the restaurant that may or may not have occurred that evening with my party. So (laughs) the three of us go in this room it is about the about 50 yards long and probably about 40 feet wide. It's a big banquet room, but there's a couple big TVs set up in it. There's two people in there, and then we walk in. And we're enjoying the view. You open the curtains. It looks out over the, the Olympic rings. Awesome. So at some point, somebody closes the curtains, and then it's filling up, filling up, and there's all kinds of producers and people from back east. And some dude walks by me, and I was like, hey. We had been kind of chatting across the room. We're like, hey, let's get those curtains open, you know? He, yeah, that's a good idea. He opens the curtains. We're enjoying the view. It's gorgeous. Some other dude goes, hey, close those curtains. They see us up here. We're on like the seventh floor. Maybe not seventh. Maybe the third Overlooking floor. the water. Who's out there on the water looking up at you? Close those curtains. So the guy goes and closes the curtains. Not that guy. The other guy goes and closes the curtains. And he's like issuing orders. And so... The other dude walks by me, the one who opened him, and goes, and I and I look at him and go, you're just going to let some guy tell you to close the curtains? Let some guy do that to you? And I hear from across the room, I'm not just some guy. <laughs> okay, guy. So the room is steadily filling up. At one point, Mary Carrillo walks in. Yep. She has on a Sasquatch t-shirt and Sasquatch pajamas. Awesome. And she has a bottle of Jack in her hands. So I go direct. We need, we need to be friends. 
Mary and I are now drinking her whiskey <laughs> and taking selfies. It's it's awesome. It's fun. More and more people are coming in. We're sitting at our own little private table. At one point, Mike Tariq goes in there. He comes over. He's good friends with our reporter, uh, Heather Cox. And he sits down with us. And he looks at me and he goes, you were terrific today. And I stood up. I'm like, hang on, Mike. Let me just bask yeah, in this. Let me, for, just... Let, me just, let me just take this in. Bathe in my glory. So Mike sets down his big bottle of Woodford, and we start drinking that. Field producer drinks this. He's already had a few. He, myself, and Heather Cox are telling stories. And we're purposely one-upping each other. You know you're at a party sometimes. Guys like one-upping everybody. And you're and like, are these like, you're like okay. broadcast war stories type situation? Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. yeah, crazy stories. So we're on purpose playing a one-up game. Of course. With different topics. So it's getting personal and fun. And we're a little sauced. And at one point, my guy looks at me and goes, what I got to do? I said, well, you got to tell a story that's better. It's like the story version of the penis game. The guy from across the room No, guy? no. No, this is our guy at our table. Oh, yeah, our field yeah. Got it, got it, got it, I said, yeah, hey, yeah. you got to tell you know a, a better story. This is the story <laughs> equivalent of the penis game. Yeah, one up it. If you don't know the penis game, it's you, you have to yell penis or say penis louder than the person before you until it's ridiculous. So... All he hears, I think, through the alcohol fog is penis game. Yes. Uh, From you, if you are my guy, there's a wall where the ring lights are here. Yep. Two feet away. And along that wall, just behind his head, his position, uh, located the top brass of NBC who have filtered in. And I'm, I'm talking about not the boss of the Olympics. I'm talking about the boss of NBC. Yeah. Corner office, top of the skyscraper, NBC. 30 Rock. My guy says penis pretty loud. And I look at him like, no, no. The volume in this room, which by that point is full, went down 30% when he did it. And I'm like, no. I'm looking at him, no. And I can feel the heat coming from the wall. Guys are just hanging against the wall at me. Like, what is going on? Why did that just happen? Why did that guy yell penis? And my guy oh my God. then yells it louder. And the room goes silent. And I'm sitting there like this. Eyes wide open, saying nothing. Whiter than you already are. <laughs> Transparent. <laughs> Head of NBC staring at me. I'm like, I didn't do anything, bro. I'm just frozen. Yeah. Like, nothing happened. I don't know. We had to get my guy out of there. We left about eight minutes later. We, I was, had, we had to take him out of the room. Last time I saw him, he didn't show up for the flight in the morning. <laughs> I was hoping you said that everybody else in the room joined in with the penis game as well. No, no. That I the head of NBC is not playing the penis game. Is hilarious. I I was in full panic mode, just like <sighs> that's when you're like, do I want the head NBC guy to know who I am or to not know who I am? I'm not involved in this game. <laughs> What do you what, what do you think's gonna happen at the end of essentially three weeks of being locked in one room? Oh, they don't care. No, they I mean, don't at the care. end of the day, they don't care. No. But they, the room going silent and them staring that at me. Whatever is hilarious. It it's funny to me the contrast between an East Coast company and some West Coast people. It's pretty. Funny. Oh, for sure. It's it is evident totally. when you are there. It's funny, especially like if you you didn't grow up on the East Coast, but you were far more east than southern california and i grew up on the east coast so like i know 
and like northern east coast, right? Like I've been to New hey, York. Hey, I got a J. Crew catalog. Don't sweat it. <laughs> did I know you what wear you're about. did you wear a Tommy Hilfiger college shirt and khaki cargo shorts? Stuff doesn't fit me. I'm too large of a mammal for Tommy Hilfiger. That also, but yes, I, and it, and I didn't have enough money for that stuff when I was growing true up. That. But yes, the the preppy, cool people in my school wore that stuff. Rugby shirts, I believe. Is yeah, they, yeah. Rugby oh yeah, shirts, yeah, yeah. Uh, American Eagle or yep. no American Outfitters? Urban Outfitters? Urban Outfitters. For no, sure. that's more recent. I'm thinking like American Eagle or another company, J Crew. There's one I'm missing, but straight up rugby shirts and puka shell yeah, necklaces. There is one, yeah. Yeah. It was like a surf shop, but it wasn't a surf shop. Correct. Yeah. High end. Yeah. They still exist. Anyways, that, that kind of stuff. Yes, that's the guy I grew up with. And in fact, I was just in Florida with a bunch of guys from Chicago, which was fun. And you could tell the people from Chicago, first of all, the accents. Totally. Secondly, boat shoes, no socks. That's, that's the Chicago jam when you're in a tropical climate. Never understood the boat shoes, no socks. Eh, I grew out of it. But yeah, I can't do the no socks thing. Well, you, uh, this is off topic, but you are now part of the Cool Kids Club because I've seen the photo. You have Yeezys now. I do. And like one of the OG Yeezys that people really, really want. My son. And resell those on an app that I have and I looked up the price. What did you see? 600? I think yep. it was 600. Yeah. Uh, my son saw those and he goes, how'd you get those? <laughs> he says, I got online to buy those like four years ago when they came out. He said, I got, they were gone in three seconds. Yep. How'd you get those? I said, bro. Got to know people. Somebody. Yeah. Yeah. I wore them. I've worn them. I would normally say his name, but in this case, because they're Yeezys, I don't want to put his name out there. Yeah. But he's a good, we got a guy. He is a good friend and, uh, fellow podcaster. I got uh, a Christmas gift from him and I should say multiple Christmas gifts. And I was very, very pleased. Yes. Yes. And, uh, it's one of those things where like, you know, when you get a pair of shoes and you're like going to something and you're like, ah, does this event deserve these shoes I'm about to put on? I only recently know this feeling. And if the answer is no, <laughs> then those aren't the shoes. Like this, are people going to appreciate, not that I need anybody to say one thing about the shoes, but does the event deserve these shoes? Somebody said, that's a pretty big flex right there. Yeah, it is. I told my wife we were somewhere. I said, I should have brought the shoes. She goes. Yeah, then you look like a douche. <laughs> I was like, no way. I, I want to see. Uh, I'd, look, I'd look cool, just so you know. I want to see uh, what your fit is. That's what the kids say. What your yeah. fit is with your Yeezys. I want to see how you. what else you do. Because usually for me, my outfits either begin with the hat I want to wear that day or the shoes I want to wear that day. Okay. And I go from there. These days when I go to work, I start with the pants. and, and uh, Please tell me you're not wearing your Yeezys to work. Oh hell no! Okay, yeah. I actually, I if but I just get a compliment from my kids on my fit, yeah, then they, I know I've nailed it. I went to a white party, and did you wear the Yeezys? I didn't have them. Oh, okay, I just wore Air Forces. Perfect. That had come to me through the universe. Yep. Uh, that I had purchased that day. Love it. And some stretchy white jeans that fit me that I had purchased that day, which by the way never happens at six foot six. And I found this, and I had the whole kit going, and my son was like, "Check the fit. It's tight." So I like, love it. Like I'm going to the party with some confidence now. Yeah. Killing it. All of a sudden, you were 6'7". Killing it. <laughs> Feeling good, looking good. <laughs> That's right. Willis? No, I always forget the names. Uh, looking good. Looking good. So-and-so. Oh, yeah. Was that Trading Places? Trading Places. Yeah. yeah. Last time I watched it was in Rome in Dang it. 2018, I think. Mortimer? 
No, because it's the other half. It's Eddie Murphy oh, and Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Somebody it. on the chat will know. It. Yeah, so Tokyo from oh, man. I was good. Sorry, me. sorry to steal the podcast. No, that was a, an amazing story. And anytime you can tell a story where the word penis. By the way, you said penis multiple times because we refer to your child saying penis. It's true. This is the penis. The penis yes, episode of the, Beat Talks. That's what the, the title is going to be when I put it up on Apple Music. <laughs> the the penis, penis episode. episode. <laughs> I guarantee you, it'll get the most <laughs> most streams to be like, "Why is this called the penis episode?" <laughs> <laughs> you got to be clever with a thumbnail now. Yeah. Now, before you and I went to Tokyo. Um, we did the 2020 AVP season with no fans. Right. So you had three bro- events, broadcasted events without fans. Yeah. Now, what was it like in Tokyo for you without fans, besides the music blaring at a thousand in your indoor arena, bouncing all over the place? Oh my God. And people <laughs> yelling. I'm like, what are we, what are we doing? There's nobody here. Uh, it, it was amazing that somehow Iran could get in. A quarter of the stadium. I don't know what happened. Somehow Iran had the most passes available. People were able to get in by the end who were part of delegations. So yes, delegations same. were getting in. Same. Uh, it was a shame in this regard. Japan is an amazing country, <sighs> an incredibly unique, conscientious, wonderful people. I can't wait to go back. And it was a shame that people did not get to experience it. Those who were coming, my, my whole family was supposed to be there in 20 that they did not get to experience the culture, but also for everyone who watched the Olympics, that they did not truly get to experience the Japanese people and the Japanese culture. Correct. I thought that was the worst part of it all, that it didn't get the exposure that I want people to have to a place that I have such an affinity for, such a love for. It. Uh, I had never been there before. Yeah. And I had a, an amazing experience, even with the limited amount of things that I could do, places I could go, time that I had. Um, I'm not sure how much more I could have done if it was wide open anyways, but, um, the cleanest place I've ever seen in my life. Absolutely. I literally saw one can on the ground. You should have picked it up. I did. Yes. Because I was like, no, this is unacceptable. Japanese people are proud of you. Yeah. It was unacceptable. I was like, I can't. Way to assimilate. I can't have that. Yeah. (laughs) You were assimilated. (laughs) But then I had to carry it for like 10 blocks because there's no trash cans outside, which is also mind boggling because where's the trash? People take it with them and tro- throw it away at yeah, home. It's amazing. Um, it's an amazing country. The culture was great. Yep. Um, that's always my favorite part about any travel, whether it's in the United States or internationally, is especially for events, like getting to work with people from the location where we are and just to get to know, like you're a tourist, yes, but then you're talking to people that really live there and you're working with them on a daily basis. So I feel like I get to know more about the country than I would Yes. If I was, if my wife and I were just tours there for 10 days. It's more intimate. For sure. For sure. Um, Public transportation was great. Like after I think it was 14 days, we would take the train to and from. And it was easy. It was just a long walk and I was sweating my ass off literally uh, by the time I got to the train. That also bothers me too. Like I'm already drenched from sweat before I even get to work. Yeah. 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 Anyways. um, But amazing public transportation. I, after Rio, for beach volleyball to be the last Olympics where it was on an actual beach was um, Greece. No. 
No, it wasn't really it on was a beach. Two, it, was it was in was a two, harbor no, there. No, no, it was 2000. Australia. When, Australia. Yeah. That was the last time Bondi. it was on a real beach. Bondi Beach. Dane um, Blanton champion. Dane Blanton champion. If you ever get to see the video, watch the last point of Eric Fanoi Moana stuffing Brazil and then turning around and full-on WWE tackling Dane Blanton, who was just standing there like, still, did we just win the gold medal? And then Fanoi slams him to the ground. Yeah. Um, you should watch that. It's amazing. The going to Rio to DJ Beach Volleyball, where volleyball is a huge part of their culture, yes. especially beach, having a stadium on Copacabana Beach that literally felt like the entire stadium was on my head. Like that stadium felt like it went straight up in the air. It did. And it was such a cool <laughs> venue. Like I remember every shot of every highlight that started the Olympics was from the hotel across the building across the street that yeah. had a zip line with a camera that would come over and show our venue. Yeah. Even if they were talking about like the swimming venue, they would show our venue first. Your venue was made of Tinker Toys there. The first couple of days in Rio, walking in when the stadium's not fully complete and you see a bunch of extra parts laying on the ground, and then the next day you show up and the whole and thing creaking. is just tarped, and you're like, uh, there's no way they got all those pieces that were laying <laughs> on the ground connected. I'm just going to hold my breath all the time. Because if that thing came down, it was coming down on me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is going to sound like first world problems, and it is. I didn't know what the vibe would be like for me personally in Tokyo because- how could it get better than what I experienced in Rio as far as for the sport itself, right? Like right. It, it just, again, once you're there, it feels like a normal tournament. doesn't feel as much like the Olympics because I'm here to do my job. It's like a tournament. So I was concerned about that for Tokyo. And with no fans, once I knew there was no fans, like you can't compare it anyways. There's nothing to compare it to. But as soon as I walked into the stadium um, in Tokyo, my heart sank because it would have been raging. Yes. The stadium was awesome. And imagine, imagining 12,000 people in there. Because the sport of beach volleyball is huge. Like it's Volleyball is huge in Japan. 100%. Yeah. Um, and the fact that the beach venue is like, it's the fun venue as far as sports go. Like all the reporters come yes. there. Like, I'm just, I'm fortunate that I get to DJ that. So I get LA Times articles written about me, things of that nature, which is awesome. It's the only, it's the only and best party. Correct. And it was such a bummer. Yeah. Because it would have been raging. Yes. Still would have been as hot and sweating. And I don't know where my DJ booth would have gone because where it was would have been in the way. And for people listening, that uh, take for granted the DJs and DJs who are actually professionals. I'm freaking awesome at my job <laughs> because is that is that the new title of, the, of this pod? And some of it, like obviously, like I could DJ a volleyball match with my eyes closed, and I literally did during the men's gold medal match in set one. It mm -hmm. started to rain before the match, so where they put me was where my original DJ booth was. And it was like a hot box because right next to me was a wall. Yeah. But because it's raining, the way it was raining, water was coming in. So we had to protect it. So in front of me was a plastic curtain. But said plastic curtain, you couldn't see through. <laughs> I DJed game one of the men's gold medal match without being able to see the court. Yeah. Just feel it. Just feel it, bro. You're in the zone. I DJed off the whistles 
end off of what the MZ said. What what night? I couldn't see the game, Kevin. What night am I going to tell you that you should have <sighs> quit DJing forever? You should have pushed your equipment off your tower and walked out. Seattle? Saturday night. I dominated. 2019. I definitely dominated that. That night, I blacked out too. I don't like. <laughs> I I don't really. I don't remember being awesome, but I know it was a good time. But I don't remember that I was that awesome. I was awesome, but I blacked out. It was amazing. Yeah, I couldn't have been that awesome during the gold medal match just because there were no fans. No, but nobody knew that I couldn't see the court. Right. And here's my a question. triumph of a different kind. And here's my question. Okay. So, Rhetorical or actual question? Well, you if you have an answer, that's fine. <laughs> This was something I said a lot during that time because, again, there's just things that people don't think about, right? You're asking me to be a professional, act like a professional, treat everybody else like a professional. No problem at all. Is putting me in a location where, one, I can't see the court. Two, the first day I had to DJ around the stand of the umbrella. Right. Uh, Another day, the way the umbrella was set because I only had one. It literally ruined my knee. My knee was jacked up for two months because the way I was standing, my heel was up on the thing, up on the base of yeah. said umbrella. Um, at what point do you lose your shit? Because the only way anything is getting done is if I actually lose my mind. It depends on where you are in the power dynamic in your career. Increasingly, I'm at a point in my career and in my life where I've got options. Yeah. And I've got opinions. <laughs> you? And and I'm more selective with those opinions. Yep. So they're both better opinions than when I was 23. <laughs> <laughs> they're more educated opinions. And, and I am more selective with it. Yeah. So, yeah, at this point in your career, uh, you, can, you can be forceful and you can affect change without being so rude. I did not lose my mind. Yeah. I let the people that needed to know that I was not pleased and that nobody else would have done their job like that. And the only reason I did my job the way I did was because if I took a stand to let them know that how they were treating me was wrong and nobody else would do their job like this, it would have affected the players. Yeah. And that's the only reason I fought through it. And if it was if it was Japanese people in charge, it would have gotten fixed quicker. Instead, you're dealing with a, a different set of circumstances. Well, and also too, like, no one was doing it to me on purpose. No one was right. like, screw that guy. He doesn't need to see the court. Like, because nobody knows how to do my job. And they also think it's easy to play 500 songs during a match. It's no problem at all, especially when you can't see the court. Um, literally, the only reason that I didn't at one point not play music was because it would have affected the players. Yeah. And I didn't want to take away from their experience. Right. Yeah. Did I tell you I wanted almost got in a fight with Michael Phelps' wife? <laughs> That I was what? that I was berating her at one point. What did she say to you? Nothing. So then, well, first of all, okay. Wait, how did your paths cross? I just want to know that first. I don't know if you know it. NBC, I'm somebody during the Olympics, obviously, like, or at least I'm around people who are somebody. Well, it's your fourth. Choose one of those. It's your sixth Olymp. This was your sixth Olympics. Yeah, four as broadcaster. One of the great fun things about being on the broadcast team is that you get to interact with a bunch of people who have. Q ratings, which I don't. So, so it's really fun to to get to know them a little bit, to talk to them in the lunch line or you know in 
sitting at a table or whatever at yeah. the commissary. It's it's outstanding. And I will go right at them and just say hello. Well, you will do you will, to your credit will talk to anybody anywhere anytime. Sure. Which is famous a super, or not. Which is a superpower that I don't have. So <laughs> I, I talked to Carl Lewis in twenty twelve. I was Charles six, Barkley. Yeah, Charles Barkley in Atlanta <laughs> for Supercross. So drink. I am downstairs in the hotel. We have food service there, which was great. We have our own NBC food service. And I was chasing the ice cream. What does that mean? Like it was on a cart and they were rolling it away from you? They have a cart that's a, a, a freezer and it's out for lunch or it's out for dinner. Yep. And I can't figure out which. I, can't, I don't know when it's going to be there. I don't know when it's not going to be there. So I continue to be disappointed that it's not there at times when I am there. And then it apparently I hear that it was there, but I wasn't there for that meal. And all I want... Shouldn't it be there for every meal? Yes. Okay. All I want is an almond-covered tiny magnum interpretation of ice cream. It's vanilla ice cream on a stick with chocolate and almonds. That's all I want. I want a little a little something. My body's a temple, but I need a little something. I, I know I'm eating sugar at that point. I want to enjoy it. Is tiny magnum an oxymoron? Yeah. Well, <laughs> not if you know what the ice cream bar from Europe is. But yes. See, condom on So I can't figure out the schedule with this thing. So I have asked. It's a conspiracy. I have asked the Japanese folks who are serving, can I have ice cream? I'm being told, no, you cannot have the ice cream. It was at lunch. It is not at dinner. I'm like, okay. So then I come back for lunch the next day. There's no ice cream. And I'm like, hey, you told me yesterday. You lied to me yesterday. (laughs) You told me yesterday it would be here for lunch, and now it is not. And they tell me it's coming for dinner. I'm like, I'm not going to be here for dinner. Can I please have an ice cream? And I'm, I'm a little loud. Obviously. And way, way taller than any Japanese person in the country almost. And that maybe was a little intimidating. People talked to the manager and the manager came out and told me there is no ice cream and I'm, I'm not happy. So there's no ice cream for dinner one night. Enter Mrs. Phelps. I love that your butt hurtness was because of ice cream and mine was because I couldn't see the freaking match. I was trying to DJ. This, well, this, this just lets people know the type of people you and I are. I just, I just like the being funny about it. And something to entertain myself and be upset about. Has we been there for three weeks and you're bored? So Mrs. Phelps is there. First of all, you can't bring your spouse, but Mrs. Phelps is there. So Mrs. Phelps has ice cream. When you're somebody, Kevin, you can do what you want. I have asked for the ice cream that night and I'm sitting outside at the tables. It's almost closed. And Mrs. Phelps has an ice cream. And I looked at her. I said, where did you get that? And she goes, uh, nowhere. I'm like, oh. No, it's on now. It's on. And so I go in there and I'm like, where's the ice cream? Somebody's got, I saw she has ice cream. I want one right now. (laughs) And I get this. They give you the the X. No dice. The X. No, I get shut down. And so I come back out, passive aggressive, mumbling to myself. I'm not normally, I'm more aggressive aggressive than passive aggressive, but mumbling to myself out loud at Mrs. Phelps. Well, I guess if you're somebody, you can get ice cream. Trying to get a rise out of Mrs. Phelps. And did she just brush you off? Yeah, awesome. she doesn't care. Good for she, her. She, I'm nobody. That is hilarious. She's got Michael. You know, we got out one night in Japan. You myself, myself, Heather Cox, and our field producer, we got out one night. Didn't you send me photos? Like you were at some place where they had like porcupines or some weird animal. What we, was went the- to, we went to a hedgehog cafe. Hedgehog. A very Japanese thing to do. Yes. We went to a hedgehog cafe where you pay money to spend time with hedgehogs. Because why wouldn't you? 
And so we were all hyped about the Hedgehog Cafe. I would pay money to hang out with hedgehogs. We went to Shizuoka and we went, went all the way there on the train, like 40 minute ride to hang out with hedgehogs. We walk in, they have hedgehogs, those are great. I look over and there's a bird cage on the ground, one of those three level bird cages. And inside, there's a meerkat. And I'm like, that was the photo I saw of yours. Yeah. Holy shit. They have a meerkat. Love meerkats. I am pumped on the meerkat. <laughs> so they get the meerkat out. I forget his name, Bob. And Bob gets out and he is pumped. Like he is excited. There's nobody else there but the three of us and the two attendants. He's like, finally. And Bob is, imagine a house cat on speed. Awesome. Bob is flying around. He's biting me. Yes. He's attacking me, yes. sniffing my head. Yes. I definitely got rabies. Are you laying on the ground oh, with yeah. Bob? Oh, okay. I'm at Bob's so level. So you're at Bob's level. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Smart. Bob, Bob and I are friends. We'll let him know you're not intimidating. I'm roughing him up. I'm grabbing him. At one point, he comes over, and I have video. He like bites my hand, and he goes, <laughs> he shakes like he's ferocious <laughs> or something. And and I asked the, the women who were there who have him, I'm like, is he having fun? They're like, oh, he is having a great time. Awesome. So we have fun with Bob for half an hour, and then we have to leave because it's closing. His name is Robert Paulson. And they're holding him, and he's looking at us with this sad meerkat <sighs> eyes like, hey. Where are you guys going? Yeah. I wouldn't have left. I couldn't we're, have left. We're friends, man. <laughs> you leave me here? It's amazing. I never spent time with a meerkat. It made me happy. I will watch every meerkat documentary Discovery Channel thing that comes on because I think they're an amazing animal. They move so fast. I love it. And they can so make themselves fast. flat and they can stand up when they're all like looking around and stuff. Yeah. Uh, an amazing animal. Yeah. I never made it to that place. Yeah. You I should want, go next I time. wanted to go, but after- When it's open past eight. Well, when you're DJing for X amount of hours a day and you're DJing outside- Oh, you're toast. My mental capacity to go anywhere other than my hotel room was uh, not happening. Drinking in public is just fine in Japan. They have vending machines normally with beers. So we bought some Asahi. We're literally rolling around the train drinking. Yeah. And we, we found a sushi place. It was 7.32. They closed at 8. They would not seat us. I'm like, can we get food to go? So we took sushi to go and ate it back at our hotel. But it was great to get out a little bit and experience some of Japan before it all, literally everything shut down at 8 o'clock. Yeah. Every place closed. Yep. Because everyone knows past 8 o'clock, COVID comes out. So yeah, duh. we did get a little bit of Japan, which I, I was very happy about. We went up to... We wanted to walk the Forbidden City in the middle, and it was closed. We went up to the top of a skyscraper. That was fun. We ran around in the rain. We had some good food. That was It was a great day. And I, I really, as I stated before, I'm sad that people didn't get to experience Japan. And Tokyo in its full glory, busy, yeah. crowded, engaging, loud, lights, pachinko. I did go to what is the location that's like our like New York's Times Square that you see on TV all the time where the crosswalk, everybody crosses the crosswalk at yeah, the same yeah. time. Yeah, uh, yeah. Shinjuku, Shinjuku Crossing. Yeah. yeah. Went there just to see it. Yeah. And all the advertisements like was were all off. So it was just like any yeah. other crosswalk. <laughs> you seen one crosswalk? Like, well, it's all? like, oh, let me take a picture. Like if I take a photo or a time lapse or whatever, this people will know what this is. But because yeah. none of the advertisement lights were on anywhere, it was just, it didn't, it didn't make any sense. Meh. Um, but I can't wait to go back. Really enjoy my time. I mean, it's the Olympics. Like I tell people getting to say you work the Olympics is cooler than actually working the Olympics. And by that, I mean, I'm not, you're working your ass off. 
if you're outside like I was, you're sweating your ass off the whole time. It's a lot of work. It's stressful because it's the Olympics, blah, blah, blah. But to say you did it is extremely cool. And they are experiences I will have for the rest of my life. And I would do it again, right? But it is, it's cooler to say you did it than actually doing it itself. It's a lot of work. 100%. It's tough. And it is my pleasure. Let me be clear. It's my pleasure to be a part of the NBC family. 100%. Because it is a family. They they have people return time and time again. It's very cool. And it's a special thing to have been brought into that family and be a part of it and get the opportunity to participate in a worldwide event. And I'm looking forward to Paris. It is three short years now. The turnaround (sighs) is so quick. And then LA... And having it here in our home city, it's going to be outstanding. But I, I love being a part of it. I love being a part of NBC in that regard. And the people that work there are fantastic. The the weird stuff that happens or the complaints or whatever the logistics happen to be, that, that just is. That's, that's every time. And you can- And that's going to be at any event. Not It's not Olympic specific. No. When I was 23, I would get upset about it. And to talk about it now, it's fun to tell a story or, yeah. or gripe about this or that. But- I don't take it to heart at all, any of it. Like I, I used to at 23, oh, this stinks because my expectation was that the world should be better than it really is. Yeah. You, you have to understand the struggle as it is with any professional athlete. People like to say, oh, I just grind. You got to love the grind. No, you don't. You have to learn how to deal with it. Yeah. And you have to learn how to, how to work smarter, not necessarily harder all the time. And I don't like the term grind eh, it's either. It's yeah. overused. Yeah. Yeah. It's not right. Rise and grind. Yeah. Oh God, please. You, you went to the beach at nine, and yeah. then you worked out for two hours. <laughs> then you went and had lunch. Uh, here comes your SoCal bro. And then you went and did weights for an hour, <laughs> and then you went back home, and you were like, "I'm so exhausted. I got to take a nap on the couch." Yeah, that's not the grind, bro. The gr- they call it a grind because they're not getting paid. That's why they well, call it a grind. Okay. Yeah. I, I, yeah I, I'm not I saying that doesn't mean that. it is a grind. I'm just saying that's why they call it a grind. I give you yeah. a little credence to that. Yeah. I'm, I'm on board. Yeah. But you have to figure out a way, and this comes sooner than than later for some people, to enjoy where you're at. And my message to young people when I talk to them now, whether it's in a broadcast context, a volleyball context, a parent context, or my upcoming book tour, I'll tell you about my book that I'm writing. Uh, any any of that. Can I give the foreword or? Yeah. Was there? A- Maybe afterward. Afterward? Yeah. <laughs> Like I don't, after, I don't, afterward, want, I don't like want people the, reading your words before my words. It's just not going to work out for me. I'll you say, can read I'll, your words I'll after say nice my things words. about you. I just read uh, American Kingpin. Great book. Recommend it. And now I'm reading Bitcoin Billionaires about the Winklevi twins. Uh, it's also shaping up to be pretty good. But American Kingpin. Read it. Okay. It's about the guy who invented the Silk Road. I'll put the link to that in All right. the podcast Great, uh, great book. Great book. Let me write Fast so read. Forget. Entertaining. So I my message to young people. Sorry, what was the name of it again? American Kingpin. Okay. My message to young people when I talk to them is, wherever you are, you chose to be there. Mm -hmm. For very few people in the world, and don't tell me some sad story about somebody this, that, poor, fine. Yes. Fine. Mostly, especially in America, but you chose to be where you are. Remember that. You could have chosen to go somewhere else, You could have chosen to be somewhere else. You could choose to be with other people. Remember that you chose to be here and act accordingly. And if you don't like being here, then change your situation. Do something else. Yep. Do something about it. But remember that you are in control of that. You cannot 
release control of the choices that you made to be somewhere. Yep. Wherever that may be, whether you're playing volleyball or you're working a crappy job or you hate your boss or you love your boss or you're, you feel like you're going nowhere in your career or you want to change careers, remember that you have the power to choose. Yep. People, when they win the lottery, the first thing that they say is nearly always what? I'm going to quit my job. Yep. What are you going to do? I'm, a, I'm not going to work tomorrow. If that's the case, don't go to work tomorrow now. Like, win the lottery or not, don't go to work tomorrow. And I know immediately, I can't for this reason, for that reason. Is it? Not even I can't. I like my job. Well, you but like I still, your job. I still wouldn't know. show up if I won the lottery. <laughs> I, would show, I, like my I job. would still show up for a while, but I would take a lot more time off. Uh, maybe I'd, maybe I'd finish the season. Quit tomorrow. Yeah. Quit tomorrow and and go find something that you want to do and change your life to accommodate whatever that pursuit of passion may be. That's the thing people are unwilling to do. So if you're not willing to change your lifestyle, change your life story or paradigm to accommodate your dream or your situation that you think would be better, which would have you not complaining in any real fashion, then remember that's on you. Yep. If you're a, it turns out if you're hundred percent into something, then almost anything is possible. The reason I went from being no one, having not played the sport ever in my life except for gym class, which doesn't count, doesn't count. At the age of eighteen, seventeen years and ten months, and I started playing volleyball. To arriving, five years. And a month later, a member of the USA national team is for two reasons. One, it turns out I'm 6'6 and I could jump naturally. Sweet. But at the time, I couldn't. I was skinny. you have a heavy arm. Well, I've seen it. It turns out throwing a football when you grow up in Illinois is a good thing. So those things are not really my doing. Now, expressing those things, that is my doing. But being 100% in, I moved to California 17 days after I graduated high school. I suffered for a year working at night and playing on the beach during the day. Grinding. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I made that 100% of my lifestyle. Mm-hmm. It turns out if you're willing to do that and then willing to say, okay, I'm going to pull up stakes from here and go to junior college for two years, I don't know anything about it other than some coach told me that I should go and go to this junior college if I want to play volleyball. Bang done. I'm at this junior college now. And then at that junior college, you get in touch with somebody else and you you start to then build something where it's like, okay, that junior college feeds into a program that happens to have Marv Dunphy as the head coach. And he happens to be an Olympic gold medal coach. And he is interested in you. And you make that choice. I'm not religious, still going to Pepperdine. You know why? Because I want that volleyball training. This is my life plan. I'm hundred percent in. I don't care what sacrifices need to be made. Then I went and did that. And then you say, okay, at the end of that, the national team is moving to Colorado. I didn't think twice about it. I made the team off of a tryout. They say we're starting July 3rd or June 13th or whatever it was, something close to that, 15th maybe, in Colorado. If you want to come out a week early, you can come out on the, the 8th. Bang, I'm there on the 8th. I am 100% in for whatever. And then during my career, I got not 100% in for a little while. Yep, happens. And be it my age, the circumstance, uh, whatever station in life, 
I got not 100% in for a while, and I did not like to practice. I did not like to warm up. Practice. And it's a shame because I got back to where I appreciated it. Yeah. But it is a shame not to have appreciated the fact for a while that I got paid to hit a ball around a gym. It's a dumb thing to get paid for. I'm not <laughs> curing cancer. I'm not repairing someone's ACL. Like I, I am hitting a ball around a gym. I am getting paid. I'm seeing the world. I'm doing these things. The pay wasn't what it was 10 years before or 10 years after, but whatever. Yeah. That, that can be aggravating. But it's a shame I got sucked into that. It is good that I cycled back out of it and learned that lesson. And I've tried to impart that to my kids to understand that you are choosing where you are at. You are in control of it and you have more options than I have. But it turns out if anybody, if you're 100% in for something, you're going to be successful to some level at it. Because not everything sure. is, is like volleyball, international volleyball, where you have to be 6'6", 210 pounds and full of fury like that you don't need that in a lot of jobs it probably work against you MMA maybe so be 100% in Where, wherever you're at and remember if you're not you can you can change it and there you have it thanks everybody for uh, continuing to listen I know this was a long one um, hope you got some stuff out of it lots of great stories from Kevin and uh, again, the word penis was said multiple times, and I just felt like saying it again. So for those that stuck with it, I appreciate it. There will be more Beat Talks podcasts coming soon. And uh, as always, feel free to hit me up on uh, at DJ Ruche on all the social media, or check out Beat Talks podcast. I will respond to all DMs, emails, hate mail, congratulation mail. And uh, once again, thank you. Appreciate it. And I'll be back soon.